The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Jay Rowland is an up-and-coming author in the dark epic fantasy genre with the impending release of his first novel, Shadow of the Soul Blade. And Jay is here with us just now. How are you today? Good, Toby. Thanks for having me. So this upcoming book, Shadow of the Soul Blade, what can the reader expect from it? So the reader can expect uh, a fast-paced adventure. They're really just, it, it drops you right into the world and then you just pick up and keep moving. And I do my best to describe describe the world and give context because everything is all new um but it's a you know uh the feedback that i got from my beta readers was that they really liked the fact that they just get in and start moving and and keep going is that hard to write a book that hits the ground running and i suppose captures people's attention immediately it really is um and it's the only fantasy that i've written so it's kind of the only way that i know how to write uh you know but i i I make it you know or i compare it to um you know anything from you know from joe abercrombie or from you know brandon sanders uh, the way that you know you get in and you see action as soon as you start you know seeing what's happening and then you just you you move into the world so what was it that originally inspired you to write this book so this world was one that i had created with a group of friends um about 20 years ago uh, we were going to try to release a, a competitor to the you know a, a disruptor in the uh, role-playing game genre um yeah. and we were going to create something called uh, the dark thorn role-playing game and we created this whole world and i kind of led that entire project and uh you know so in 2017 i decided to get back into to finish creating that and all these stories started popping in my head because i was running this game uh that we had made for the last 15 or 20 years and finally in 2020 i had so many just independent little stories to weave them all together into one novel so how does writing a book compare to writing and creating a world for a game because i suppose a game a lot of the time you still have to think of a story don't you there's still a lot of story writing involved there is there's a lot of backstory there's a lot of history there's a lot of uh, setting the eras and what are the the primary defining characteristics of that era uh, where you know creating a, a a novel right is really focused on just one small aspect of that entire world you know how the existential crisis that's impacting the world affects just this uh, select few uh, inhabitants of that world 
world. And so it's uh, it's it's a combination of it's a comparison of macrocosm versus microcosm. And is this game still up and running? I mean, do they work well together? Maybe the book being an accomplice for the game, or would you say they live separate lives? No, the the game is something that I will uh, certainly get back into creating and finishing, especially if the book uh, generates enough of a fan base. Um, but uh, you know, it's just a lot of. It turned out to be a lot of pre-work that was required to write the book anyhow and it really just gives me all this context to let the reader explore now the book is still in the editing phase isn't it so what's the editing process like i mean are you still tweaking a few things here and there so i'm not tweaking anything right now uh it just got out of editing with my editor and now it is in proofreading with my proofreader and i'll have it back from proofreading um by the 24th and then it goes to formatting uh and then after formatting is done i just i click publish on Amazon and, and Ingram Spark and Barnes and Noble and then it's out to the world. Wow. So have you decided to self-publish then? I have decided to self-publish. Um, I've seen and done a lot of research uh, with regards to other authors and what they've had to do to be able to publish in the mainstream. Uh, the amount of uh, authority that they lose over their characters and their worlds uh, because they end up effectively selling all of the rights to their characters and everything that they've created to these, these larger conglomerates and these larger publishing houses. And the characters in the story mean too much to me to really just give that away. So you get that freedom. Have you found it to be easy self-publishing or do you still have to jump through a lot of hoops to get your book out there? So the difference is, is that I have to do all of the marketing and self-publish, uh, self-publishing awareness and all of the, you know, I have to reach out to radio shows and book yeah. my own radio spots and things like that. <laughs> so uh, I don't have these, you know, multi-billion, multi-million dollar, uh, you know, establishments behind me. I have to do all of the legwork, um, which is the hardest part about being an, an author in general is is having to to create that awareness uh, to try to invite people into this world that I've created. And do you hope that the book will gain a lot of traction and hopefully it'll all be worth it in the end? Because if you went the traditional publishing route, you could have all the success in the world and all the readers, but you were forced to change the story a bit. I guess my question is, would you prefer to have an authentic, true-to-what-you-want story rather than loads of readers reading something that isn't what you wanted. So I'd really rather have the best of both worlds if I can, you know. Hopefully the fact that my story is authentically my own uh, and not influenced by some uh, you know, some corporate executive's desire to to pad the bottom line uh, and decide to to kind of, you know, placate to uh, expanding the reader base um, helps me develop such an authentic story that it, that it grows its own unique reader base and I think that's, you know, for me, it's just about inviting as many people into this world that I've created as possible. And despite the fact that you didn't have any corporate overlords telling you what to do, along the way, did you have any kind of advisors or anybody that suggested parts of the book, even if it's in a very minor way? So the, my beta readers were absolutely amazing. So I had initially 25 beta readers who were reading it and who were you know, giving me guidance. You know, I have family. My sister is a is an English major and an English teacher. I have another sister who uh, has done editing on the side for a very long time. And while she's not involved directly in the editing process, she was kind of one of my alpha readers that was giving me feedback on things that I could, you know, update or adjust in my in my writing style to make it uh, 
a more authentic experience for the reader. And you are also a technologist by day, and you yeah. really do the authoring in your spare time. So how do you manage to balance these two worlds, really? Very, very carefully. <laughs> um, I am a director in a large, uh, you know, technology segment of, of, uh, of a large company, um, and that takes at least sixty hours of my week. And then I also have, you know, five kids and a wife uh, and a very active home life. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in my in my spare time, you know, the wee hours of the night or, you know, early morning, uh, I get up and I write and I just try to, uh, you know, get as much, uh, you know, as many words on the page as I can. And, and you know, at this stage, when I'm done with the writing now, it's about trying to, to figure out how to, you know, optimize my marketing strategy so that I can, can get as many, you know, people uh, reading the book as possible. And would you say you enjoy writing? I love it. I absolutely love it. There's something about being able to, to peer into one spot in this world that I've created and see what's happening. And sometimes it's a very unique experience. Sometimes the, the characters will surprise me with the things that they will think of. And obviously it's all coming from my head, you know, but it feels sometimes like they're they're separate and that they're doing their own thing. And even things that I wouldn't have expected or even things that I wouldn't have necessarily wanted them to because they have their own very unique characteristics. Yeah, I suppose it's great to enjoy writing in it because the last thing you want to do when you come home from work and you've got spare time is do something you don't want to do. Right, right. And sometimes, you know, there's there's challenges with writing, right? Like, there's sometimes that I'll sit down in front of the keyboard and I'll just be like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to write. You know, like I know what I need to write and know what's on my agenda, right? But I'm not sure how to start it or where to start it. So I just start writing. And for the first page, it might just kind of trudge through whatever, you know, garbage kind of comes out of the keyboard. Yeah. Uh, but after that, you, you get a flow, right? And after you hit the flow, then it becomes fun. And then you go back to the, the stuff that you initially uh, started in that session. And then you kind of use that flow to kind of rebrush that over yeah. and create a whole experience. Yeah, that's interesting because the very first page of the book, is that quite hard as well? Because you have to start the book in a good way. And of course, this book hits the ground running. So a ticket you probably maybe took a while to perfect that. So the first page was for me, interestingly enough, one of the easiest because when I was thinking about how I would how I would start this adventure, right? Um I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know, I just had these these stories kind of noted, jotted down. You know, I wasn't sure where they would go. Uh, but my very first uh, opening scene is in this uh, this tribal ritual with this uh, this group of beings called the Salis. They're a very feral, cat-like, uh, uh, humanoid race uh, of uh, of individuals. And so it's with this uh, this fight scene between you know our, one of our primary protagonists uh, and a side character um, where they're in a combat circle sparring. Um, and so I had that scene kind of already, you know, in my notes and planned out in my head. Like, wouldn't it be great if I started it off with this just like hardcore action? Um, and then I even took a step back based on some reader uh, feedback that I got. And they thought, you know, maybe if you took a step back and maybe gave us uh, a vision of the surrounding area first, you know, for context and then kind of focus down on that scene. So then I ended up doing that. And that's when I kind of, you know, readjusted that scene a little bit. But the the overall opening scene was, wasn't super challenging uh, because of the because of the notes that I had already uh, taken and what I had already planned. And for the ending as well, did you put a lot of thought into that? Because that's also important. The ending was absolutely crucial. Um, and I knew how it was going to end. Like I knew, or let me rephrase that. <laughs> the ending is absolutely crucial. Uh, I knew what the ending was going to be, but I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. Right. Um, because the way that I end this book uh, is I end up revealing one final fact that reframes the entire rest of the story. Ooh. Right. So that's where it's like, it puts a lot of things in perspective that happens. Everything, you know, suddenly makes sense. It made sense before, but not in this perspective. And so when I reveal this final fact, it then reframes the whole story and my beta readers have been absolutely thrilled about how the, how it ended. So is it the kind of ending that maybe makes you want to go back and read the book again? It would make you want to go back and read the book again so that you can get some better perspective on maybe why a character made a decision they made or why a character went a direction that they went while also leaving a complete, you know, and gives you fulfillment on this part of the story, but it also makes you think, okay, well, how then, then where do we go from here? And does it end naturally or is it a bit of a cliffhanger as well? Interestingly enough, it's both. It's, it ends naturally. It ends on a very, uh, you know, fulfilling note. You know, you get an understanding of now why everything happened the way that it did. Um, but also you, it then leaves you with, you know, it, it opens up about 20 more questions. So hopefully there'll be another book to answer those questions. That's the plan. The plan is, uh, at least two more books uh, and then a, a trilogy of trilogies, right? If I can do <laughs> three books and this and then another three books and then, a, you know, uh, do a, like a three book prequel, I would love to do that because I have more than enough. Uh, I have more than enough content uh, with everything that's happening in this world and, and all of the, the the historical information about why everything happened the way that it did to fill that many books. When you were kind of coming up with the world originally, both when you were making the game 
and when you were working on this book, did you do any research to, I guess, make the world a bit realistic? Yeah, a lot of the research that I did was in our own world, right? And as yeah. well as in the worlds of other uh, fantasy authors, right? Um, you know, everything from uh, some of the work of Gene Roddenberry to the work of Tolkien to the work of, you know, uh, numerous authors and and really um, did a study on, on you know, ancient cultures uh, of, of the United or of the uh, of the earth uh, overall so um and so all of that information kind of came together to let me understand why different cultures do things the way they did like why the ancient scots and the ancient celts had some of their traditions and why the ancient native americans and the clovis you know tribes had uh some of their traditions and uh then i could kind of take some of those aspects of different cultures right and then kind of pick them apart and put them back together into more unique uh into uh unique ways in a fantasy setting yeah. right and you have a bit of a background working with renaissance festivals and in sword combat and stage combat so did those things influence the book as well in terms of research i guess particularly in those renaissance themes heavily heavily so i was uh, heavily involved in the michigan renaissance festival for uh about 10 years uh from 1995 to 2005 and i um i was also a member of the uh open university academy program where i um uh studied uh, historical europe renaissance europe uh and uh was involved in their stage combat program and then did stage combat and theater as well and then through you know going through these combat uh historical eastern historical european martial arts um as well as uh, historical uh, Japanese martial arts. And uh, my knowledge of these different systems and the way that they interplay together and the differences between stage combat and actual combat is combat blow things forward to make it visual and, 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 and epic. Uh, yeah. Whereas with uh, actual combat, things need to be, you know, you have to have economy of movement, you have to have efficiency. And so trying to blend all these things together, uh, when I did the combat scenes within the actual uh, book, um, it gave me the ability to, to make very realistic combat scenes. I actually ended up having to pair them back a bit um, because I added so much detail it, you could kind of get a little bogged down in it so I was able to through my beta readers feedback say okay well it doesn't matter if he attacked with his you know if he hit the right side or the left side it's, it's that he you know hit him and, and this was the impact and this was the effect right and so I had to pair that back a bit but the combat still ends up being very fast moving and realistic Now you also collect swords don't you so when you were writing the book did you sit there looking up at your collection maybe it helps you descriptively because you can see it right there and describe it it does it does one of the things to watch out for as an author is repetitiveness right you don't want to say uh you know his sword did this his sword did that his sword did this his sword did that right you got to change that up a lot so like for example as i'm looking up at my collection and, and even just to kind of show you so there's there's one yeah and then there's another set wow. behind me and then i've got some some axes and shields over there <laughs> and so um as i'm you know and i have more elsewhere um it's just kind of sitting around the room and as i'm doing that it lets me really say okay well what are the parts of the sword there's there's the handle there's the hilt there's the pommel there's the tip there's the you know there's even the weak side of the, the blade and the strong side of the blade you know the edge and i was able to use this to get contextual reference and framework for how i was going to talk about the blades 
or talk about the weapons as they're interacting with other weapons and as they're they're interacting with their uh, with their victims. Yeah, and it's great to have it on record that if anybody were to come and try and burgle your house, you've got all the defense you need. I have I have all the defense I need in the way of swords and shields and many many more. Yes, and you mentioned that you're hoping to make this into a trilogy of trilogies. So what yes. sneak peeks can you give us into the next book if you've started working on that and any other upcoming projects if there are any? So I can tell you that in the next book, we're going to end up losing a very significant character. Uh, and then the book after that, um, you, there's going to be the the revival of a character that you wouldn't have expected. And so it's going to, it's you're going to think, and you're going to think that it's going one way and then it's going to flip and go a completely different direction. That's fascinating because the ending of the first book will completely change your perspective of what happened previously. So when you start mm-hmm. reading the second book, is that going to happen again? It, it will continue to happen. And I will even I will even give you a sneak peek that one of the characters that you know the least about, uh, which is Kumori, who is one of the most uh, more uh, shrouded characters, both figuratively and literally, um, ends up getting into a relationship and then you end up uh, finding out more about that backstory. Interesting. Looking forward to that. And this current book is called Shadow of the Soul Blade. When exactly will it be coming out and where will we be able to find it when it does? Based on the editing process, it should be out uh, mid to early May and you'll be able to find it at Amazon.com BarnesandNoble.com and anywhere books are sold online. Excellent. And your website, if people want that, is jroland.net. So many thanks for talking to us today. It's been great to have you on the show. Thanks, Toby. It's been great. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.